A key component of the modern world economy, the chemical industry delivers products and innovations to enhance everyday life. It is also an industry in transformation, where chemical executives and workers are delivering growth and industry-changing advancements while responding to pressures from investors, regulators, and public opinion. Discover how leading companies are approaching these challenges here on The Chemical Show. Join Victoria Meyer, president of Progressio Global and host of The Chemical Show, as she speaks with executives across the industry and learns how they are leading their companies to grow, transform, and push industry boundaries on all frontiers. Here's your host, Victoria Meyer. Hi, this is Victoria Meyer. Welcome back to The Chemical Show. This week, I am speaking with Keith Wiggins, who is the CEO of Econic Technologies, a deep tech company focused on catalyst technology for renewable carbon. A lot of words, but we're going to get to that. Um, <laughs> Keith is an accomplished senior leader. He joined Econic in 2021, really to help commercialize and take the company to the next level. He brings over 35 years of experience um, in material science companies, uh, including ICI, Dow, as well as several startups. And Keith is really an advocate for advanced manufacturing and sustainability and actively supports the chemical industry's sustainable transformation. And we're going to hear a lot about that today. So Keith, welcome to The Chemical Show. Victoria, thanks for the opportunity. Delighted to be here. Great to have you here. Keith, what's your origin story? What got you interested in chemicals in the first place and what eventually led you to Econic? Okay, how far back do you want to go? I, I guess it all comes back from a, a love of chemistry. I mean, the, the science is fantastic in terms of what it does and what it can achieve. And if I think back as a kid, it was always interested in chemistry. I used to do experiments as a, as a kid. And that took me to university, I studied chemistry, you also learn a little bit about yourself in that growing up period. And I needed to know chemistry enough that I needed to be able to look things up, not necessarily the deep stuff. Anyway, I joined ICI as a, as a chemist. I got really bored about being in the lab and wearing the lab coat and doing the, and the repetition. And so I moved to a TS&D role, got far more energy seeing how the chemistry was applied, working with customers. But it was at a time when... There were glass ceilings and glass walls within the ICI organization. I wanted to get into commercial, into sales. And effectively, that wasn't an option for me in, in ICI. And because you were a chemist by training? So it wasn't, yeah, you couldn't if get you're, commercial? If you're, if you're hired as a chemist, you stay as a chemist. That's the track you're on. It's fairly rigid you know, back in the day. But what was interesting was this disruptor, this game changer was coming into Europe for the time, which was Dow Chemical. And it was a really exciting time. I looked around and you know, Dow or American companies in general were by far and away the most commercially advanced in their thinking at that particular time. So I joined Dow and stayed there for 24 years, which were fantastic, or rather probably 22 years were fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always a less fantastic. Yeah, there, is. there is. There's always a transition period. But commercial roles, always in specialty chemicals, progressively bigger roles, given fantastic opportunity at a really young age. The opportunity to live internationally, so spells in Germany and Switzerland and, and the US. 
running global businesses and and you know, moving up there through the through the ladder, which was fantastic. It was a time when they were doing major acquisitions, so Union Carbide and Roman Hearts, uh, and just to go through those experiences and, and many many others, which just you know fantastic priceless experience. So I, I came out in 2013. And my kids, we needed to stay in the UK because of the kids' education and needed to look around. And the Dow diamond was still firmly imprinted in my, my head. So I couldn't really, on my forehead, so I couldn't compete so well to get into another corporate. I didn't really want to because I thought that, you know, Dow was probably the best at what it did at that time. And, and so I looked around and private equity was in its ascendancy at that time. So I set up a, a consulting company, did a lot of PE work from a consulting perspective. And I just loved the fact of the money that was available that could, could come from that. But the work wasn't really that exciting. Uh, and neither were the people, to be quite honest. But what was exciting was the stuff which was coming out of UK universities, which is very, very strong. So lots and lots of really cool innovation and lots of innovation companies which were selling materials into, into the company, into the industry. And I had a lot to offer based on my Dow experience. So I consulted for many really varied companies, which was an amazing experience in terms of getting into this, this environment, which was so different from Dow. And then uh, different in some ways, similar in most. And then got exec positions with, with, with first of all, with Minoko, uh, then with one again. And right at the early stage, I got to understand or know Conic. And I'd made the connection in those early days with Dow, the polyurethane business, but it was very early. But it was from a Imperial College, which is my alma mater, and managed to keep in touch. Anyway, 10 years later, after Aconic was born, then their, their transition, they approached me and, and didn't have any hesitation with regard to taking on this new opportunity so that's awesome. so that's my my history in a, in a nutshell <laughs> that's, a, that's a great history and I think it's interesting that you felt that you hit some glass ceilings because I think we often consider that to be you know we have a lot of conversation these days about glass ceilings in terms of yeah. women and people of color and other other yeah. categorizations but the reality is there's a lot of glass ceilings in different areas Mm. that we don't always recognize yeah yeah and they vary in different geographies so but yeah. the u.s is very much a meritocracy and it hopefully and it'll stay that way that's what's made america great and it, it, it will stay that way we hope so we hope so all right keith so tell us a little bit about iconic technologies all right uh, you know iconic is well, it's a fabulous opportunity to be with Iconic. Is that absolutely at the forefront of the move of manufacturing towards renewable carbon? Uh, and effectively, if you take the premise that the world is continuing to grow uh, and require the products that the chemical industry make, most of which are carbon-based, and there is enough carbon above the ground now to sustain that growth. So if you consider recycling, if you consider bio-based, and if you consider CO2, then effectively all of that carbon can be repurposed rather than being treated as waste to make 
the essential products that enhance our lives every day. So, you know, CO2 is classified as a waste today and um, an iconic as a fabulous catalyst-based technology which converts that CO2 into a useful raw material. And that is, that's, a, that's effectively our mission is to, to start the business primarily in the polyurethanes industry, secondarily in the surfactants industry to make CO2 a co-monomer with uh, existing feedstocks. So it's, it's some 20 years R&D. And if you include the, the research that went on in the universities, 10 years is R&D for Iconic as a company. In the last two years, with a fundraise, which closed in 2022, um, is all been about commercialization. And that's effectively my task, is the transitioning of, of the company from an R&D base to a real thriving, growing commercial enterprise. And uh, yeah, I have to say, we're having fun and, and we're making it happen at the moment. That's awesome. And I know we're going to talk a little bit later about how you're you're doing some of that. Mm-hmm. So Keith, you led businesses in some of the biggest chemical companies, right? I've seen to mm-hmm. And then, you know, you've gone to tiny mm-hmm. in comparison startups. Mm-hmm. What stands out to you as the biggest difference or the biggest opportunity when you when you compare the two? Yeah, great question. I, I, I starting off with similarities. I mean, the fundamentals are the same, uh, absolutely the same. I mean, we're here to make money, um, and we're here to make money for our investors, um, and and our investors are venture capitalists, and they have a a, a set criteria which they require to. To get return on their investment, so so yeah, the, the same principles apply when it comes to essentials like safety, respect for people, the same responsibility around supply chains. So so the fundamentals are the same. I think learning from a Dow experience is that when you're in a company like Dow, you get to learn what what good looks like. I mean, they have processes and the experience to be able to really define what good looks like. And that sets the competitive standard in the marketplace. And so what you bring, as a, I guess, as a, an industry professional that's been through the, the process and the developments with a company like Dow is that experience um, to, to apply as this new organization is starting to, to, to grow. But you know, the other fundamentals are you know, understanding customers because customers buy based on the same criteria, whether you're, you're Dow or Iconic. You know, the same criteria applies with regard to geographic differences in terms of what drives markets. And you know, policy is so important in Europe. Competitiveness is so important with regard to yeah, the U.S. and 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 the evolving markets in China. So, so there, there's there's a level of being able to take this experience and apply it in, in with a with a with a blank canvas, and that's really really exciting. Yeah. So I I think that's interesting too because you're right. You get to take the these learnings and and the fundamentals of business are the fundamentals of business. Mm, mm. Across. Companies across industries, et cetera. 
you know, but you get to also maybe break some of the bad habits, <laughs> right? Because we all know that every company has bad habits that are just like <laughs> continue to persist. So I guess you get to leave a few things behind and, and take some things forward. Well, you know, big companies have you know, great processes and great people, but, but it's running processes which are fabulously well developed in big companies and you get to learn that and and necessarily so i mean just the size of the organization and the spread and the breadth the smaller companies you have to rely on great people and you have to build in appropriate processes when you're needed now where it goes bad in in big companies is when the process becomes the self-fulfilling prophecy is you take you take your eye off of the customer and what the customer wants you take your eye off the technology and you you're just fulfilling that process so we're a delicate balance here is that we need to apply processes but we need to apply them appropriately to get the job done the big difference and the biggest, biggest difference is speed and impact. I mean, without any shadow of a doubt, because early stage companies, VC funded companies, they're not for the faint hearted. I mean, we are spending um, our investors cash. Uh, and as long as we're not delivering what we say we're going to deliver, then that, that spend you know, effectively, the, the money the money doesn't go on forever. So, so we have to implement. We don't have time to analyze and uh, and and perfect the situation. We have to get out there and sell it when it's good enough, and then work with partners to to build it up into something which is a commercial proposition. Now, the other part of it is, and and I mean, similar background. You know how it is. You do great work within a big company as part of a fantastic team, and it comes out with a great result. And you you feel there's a certain fulfillment about being that cog in, as part of the wheel. Yeah. When you are in an early stage company, the impact is is amazing. So when you do get a deal over the line, when the molecule comes out on spec, when you do scale up and 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 the plant runs, then the impact is fantastic. So from a personal fulfillment perspective, I recommend it to anyone. Um, yeah, but as I cool. say, it's it's like all things in life. There's ups and downs. <laughs> so you've got yeah. to be quite resilient and, at the same time. Yeah. And I think in a startup, there's no place to hide. No. Right. I think, you know, as we know, in every big corporation, you know, you can you can hide sometimes, whether it's by day or whether it by year, whether whatever. <laughs> but, but when you're when you're in a startup, there is no hiding. Everything yeah. you do is visible and impactful, positively Absolutely. and negatively. Completely. Yeah, completely. So, I mean, that's that's the way it is. But you've got to believe in the technology. You've got to believe in the opportunity and you've got to make the team believe in that to be able to move forward. And, and, and that is that's quite visceral. That's and that's quite a nice environment to be in. If, if that's what floats your boat, which it does yeah. for me. Anyway. That's <laughs> awesome. That's awesome. So your focus at Iconic is commercialization of the technology and really helping mm. bring Iconic to a commercial enterprise, starting with polyurethane, and I know you're also looking into surfactants. Yeah. What are the critical elements or steps for Iconic in achieving that commercialization? What's the path that you're taking, and how will you know that you're there? Great question. I'm going to, you remember back in the day when we were going through marketing school and the ANZOF matrix, I mean, what we're doing at Iconic is we're creating a market. Uh, We're creating the demand for something that doesn't 
currently exist today in 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 industrial quantities so so we've got to understand the whole value chain and we've got to understand the drivers of the market going forward and and coming back to this whole area of renewable carbon if you look forward to consumers and generation x coming through you know, and you know the world's making great inroads with regard to sustainability but once the emissions part and the energy part is sorted, then you're going to be looking at what is are the constitute materials that make what we use every day, and it's all carbon-based, and, and that 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 needs to be well taken care of. And, and this whole renewable carbon. Now, the the chemical industry, as much as I love it, and as much as I've been brought up with it, uh, I, 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 I recognize that it's conservative in nature. It's highly regulated, the pressure on cost, the pressure on efficiency, the, the, the innovation is not what it used to be. So for us to be able to create a market for our product, we've got to go down the value chain and we have to sell concepts with the supporting data, which are credible to the drivers, the channel captains in the specific um, value chains that we want to sell. Yeah. Into. So, when, so you, when you talk about doing that, Keith, when, and going down the value chain, um, you're talking about getting all the way down to consumer products companies, for instance, right? The people yeah. that are the final users of the material. Yep. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely right. So, you know, these 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 technologies and certainly at the early stage, they're never perfect. If you had a drop in fits with existing facility requires no no capex and so then then it would be but there's always some adjustment that's needed when you're looking at it from a manufacturing perspective and you can go crazy as an early stage company saying you really need to buy my technology because this is what it's going to do to you or do for your business as a producer but if you're running a big highly highly efficient operation it's very difficult to be able to make that change without the, the pull coming through from the marketplace. So if you're going to the end product and, and you look at those markets are consolidated amongst the big brands, then they've got tremendous buying power. But they're also under an immense amount of pressure when it comes to their ESG reporting. So if you can capture, let's say, a more sustainable, higher performing, equal or lower cost product, and then work with them to leverage it through their supply chain. And what we're seeing is that that's coming through in spades with regard to consumer uh, consumer goods companies and that's an automotive companies and so on and so forth. So the train has left the station and it's gathering speed. But for an early stage company, we haven't got so much resource, so we need collaboration, we need focus, and we need to be able to articulate the benefits and the impact of what we can bring. And then when they introduce us to their supply chain, then we've got to work collaboratively with the supply chain in order to be able to get that done. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I know, you know, I know from our prior conversations, Keith, that there's a couple, you know, there's a couple of darlings in the industry that have done this, right? So Honda Tech uh, is a great example. Um, and in fact, I spoke with Jennifer um, Holmgren, their CEO, uh, you know, last year, I think sometime. Um, I'll link it in the show notes so people can find that episode. But but they they are notable, you know, number one, also a 20-year journey, right? So mm -hmm. there is no quick wins in, in overnight successes, right? Overnight success comes after 20 years. Um, but they certainly have done very well at partnering with, I think they did some work with Zara. They've done some work with others. 
I've spoken with Avantium and their CEO, and they've similarly done things in the uh, PET space or PET mm -hmm. replacement space with Carlsberg Beer and others. So figuring out how you get to that end is is certainly critical. So, so Keith, well, that, those two companies are, are real. Uh, they're they're uh, real. They're at the yeah. leading edge. They're fantastic. I've never met Jennifer Holden, but uh, but, I, but I am a huge admirer of what she does, and 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 clearly, Avantium is is really at that forefront with regards to the polyester supply chain. So, yeah, so we're we're riding on their their tails. <laughs> yeah, and hey, you know what? It's good to have a a coattail to ride on and a path. <laughs> and and, a, and a, a great example across the chemical industry of the path that is. Mm. A successful path to follow. So, yeah. so you guys are partnering though with some companies in different regions to support your efforts, right? So, Manali yeah. Petrochemical in India, Kenwan in China, and then most recently Monument Chemical in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And obviously, you know, so I guess maybe a couple questions. Number one, what's the role that these partnerships play for you? We'll start with that, and then I'll follow up another question later. Well, you know, they are the, they are the brave souls that are we call them pioneer licensees. And so they they require all of the first mover advantage that they take on the responsibility and the risk of going first. Because this again, this isn't for the faint-hearted. And you know, you know, getting stuff into the marketplace has got to work. It's got to be cross-competitive, and, and there has to be supply chains in place. So, so these folks are very brave, uh, and our let's say primary focus is to make them as successful as we possibly can. We want them to have fabulous businesses where they are just completely in the lead in this sector with regard to, to this technology. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and we're, we're, and our focus is, is working with them and it is working really well. I mean, Chenhua are building a, and this is all in the public domain, but are building a, 20,000 ton facility in Shanghai Gang in, in China. Uh, and we're working with them with a, a, a European um, uh, uh, engineering company for the plant design. So that's moving ahead. Um, Manali and Monument are both retrofitting their, their existing facilities, which is a fantastic thing about the, the, the Iconic technology is that it works in existing assets. So with a relatively low capex retrofit, you can get all the benefits of being able to use CO2 as a co-monomer in your production. So both Monument and um, Manali are going through that, that those retrofit exercises now. So we're at the stage now where we we are desperate to get industrial quantities of the type they can provide into the marketplace. Uh, so, they're, that, so they're effectively taking your they're taking the technology and the catalyst. And creating the the polyurethane That's from right. it, and then yep. go sell into the market. So they're they're one step down, one step away from the end of the value chain, I guess, or or somewhere in the yeah. middle, perhaps. Yeah. Well, so what we do is, I mean, we, we we're not going to be a polyol provide, uh, provider. So our business model is to license our technology and then sell catalysts. And so from that perspective, um, what we do is we, after the deal is done, we tech transfer our technology on, under license, which and we've got a fabulous patent portfolio, which supports that license. And then we work with, to transfer customers 
which we've taken to a level which is at a level of our capability. We've got a pilot plant in Runcorn near Liverpool, um, which makes pilot plant, uh, makes pilot quantities, but but we are way way oversold. So so mm-hmm. we're working now against the clock to get those larger quantities in place in order that the customers' developments and qualifications can go ahead. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. So you've got some product in the market being played with, so to speak, and your partners are going to help get some actual commercial quantities that can start being. Yeah, that's exactly right. And then, you know, how the qualification goes, you know, we're, we're, we're beyond, they want to scale up their trials and, and, and we've got a portfolio, which is, as I say, burgeoning, but, but we, we can't do the engineering work quickly enough. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, it's good to have demand. Yeah, yeah, tremendous. So what do you yeah. find critical? I think partnerships are, they are absolutely key in in developing and scaling technology, mm. especially we're seeing this all over in green chemistry mm. and sustainable chemistries that, that partnering is the way to go because nobody has each piece of the equation, right? And so mm-hmm. you need that. What do you find is to be kind of the key enablers of an effective partnership? so that you're both getting what you want out of it yeah well i you know i think it's alignment it starts at the top and it's alignment of the business objectives so you know by by building a relationship where we understand what our customers want then then we need to focus on delivering that as a company so so there is you know the physical tech transfer of the technology when it comes to the the recipes and the manufacturing of different polyols containing different quantities of of CO2. And you you know this market. I mean, it's a specialty chemical market. There are hundreds of variants of of polyol which are out there. So we also work with them with regard to formulation of different end systems to be able to help them accelerate their path to market. And then from an engineering perspective, we also work with them with regard to the retrofit on their existing mm-hmm. facilities with all of the safety and the quality requirements that that needs. So yeah, it's a multi-relationship setup of project plans that we have to put in place, but it starts with that alignment around, you know, how can we make this successful? Now, you know, for... For a business like ours, we're making the transition. It's the R&D guys that got us here. There's a very different way of working between doing R&D to doing what a customer wants. And so we, we really need to be a, a, acutely focused on their business and, and what they require to, to, to be able to, to, to get to market. And that's a, you know, a transition that we're going through. But what's also interesting is, you know, the, the different growth phases uh, is, is that, you know, the, the, demar- the, the demand is, is already starting to multiply. This is, this is quite exponential in terms of the, 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 the movement going forward. And I think the challenge will be for us is putting the supply chain behind it with regard to getting catalyst manufactured and recycled at the appropriate points around around the world. So, you know, there's there's an awful lot to be done here. But 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 with that relationship and that alignment of objectives, then we can focus on on making it happen. Yeah, 
Yeah, Keith, so I know that um, there have been some new polyurethane technologies that utilize CO2 mm-hmm. in the past that in some cases they've shut down. They, you know, so people have had experience yep. at times with a similar technology mm-hmm. um, that wasn't successful for them. You're obviously on this path to be successful. And I, you know, I know of some of the <laughs> workings of Econic, so I can, you know, so I know, I know some of the detail, but how do you, how do you overcome that? Well, we've seen it before, not from you, but we've seen it before. How do you overcome that resistance? Because, you know, again, your customer, whether they be chemical companies or whether they be the end users, have to make a prioritized decision about what they're working on, right? Mm. They can't work on every new technology, new idea. So how do you overcome some, some of those objections? Yes, great question. Yeah, I, I I think we've got the best technology, but 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 we can't claim the 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 yeah the invention of the of the the concept or the ideation of the of the concept of getting CO two repurposed in poly in in polymers. But the the other technologies are quite different from ours. So if you look at the technologies which are out there, you know they they fall into three distinct brackets. And actually, the the molecules are quite different as well in terms of the where the CO two is in the backbone of the polymer. Mm-hmm. So there were unstable issues in the past, which led to a, a perception in the market that yeah these products were unstable. There was also there's also the aspect of of cost and scale up cost. Is that if you look at, at, at another technology which is out there requires very very high pressures and very high temperatures which means that your capex cost goes through the roof um, right. when and plus the chemical reactions at high pressures and high temperatures require different ways of, of manufacturing so so scalability or affordable scalability is a key thing now for us we've needed to be able to present data well, first of all, you sell the concept and you sell the performance of the molecule and the added benefit in a system into the into the value chain. To a a, a producer, it's the, the key criteria are cost to produce and feasibility of, of production and the benefits that go with that. So 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 it, it's it's not a, a trivial exercise at all. And you have to have material that people can test and work with. There's no point in going in and, and pleading, well, we're different. It was it was different last time, but this is what we can do. They actually want to see it. So they want to see foams. They want to test the polyols. They want to put it through their systems in order to be able to, to prove it out. And it's a similar situation with regard to the, the the engineering aspect it is to bring partners in that bring the, the the credibility and the affirmation that you need. So the 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 engineering provider that we're working with did full due diligence on our on our process before they would take on the PDP work because of their own reputation. So all of that is is positive reaffirmation of of of, of what we do. But it, it's it's 
it's much easier to say than it is to do because of all of the various different aspects of what our business requires. So you can add in regulatory approvals, you can add in product registration, you can add in life cycle assessments and the impact on overall environmental footprint. You know, so all of this it adds to you know, you know, the complexity of our industry, but also you know, what holds our industry together and makes it strong. So, so I don't know, it's a bit of a rambling answer. So forgive me, but but yeah, we we can't just go in and say we're better by our products and they, and they sign a check. It doesn't work that way, (laughs) but you know. Yeah. 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 Some of it's in the proof is in the pudding and it's in uh, who you partner with. And I think, I think even your point about the due diligence that your engineering partners Mm. do because their reputation is also on the line is, uh, is really notable. Yeah. yeah. So Keith, I, you know, on a broader level, you and Iconic are pretty active in the Renewable Carbon Initiative and the Sustainability Working Group of EcoPure, the European Association of Flexible mm-hmm. Polyurethane Foam. Mm-hmm. It's a long name. And you're in the renewable space. So you clearly see the opportunity, right? You mm-hmm. see this as the next step. Mm-hmm. What What is the opportunity, though, for the rest of the chemical industry? What is as it relates to renewable feedstocks and circularity, why do we need to be getting on this bandwagon, so to speak, and taking the next steps towards renewable? Yeah. Well, I mean, in terms of the drivers behind it, it's obviously, you know, the global warming and 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 the, the drive towards more sustainable technologies. As I mentioned earlier, emissions and, and energy comes first the carbon footprint of manufacturing will follow. And I think that that's, that's pretty well understood. And, and then if you look at the growth trajectories in the world, yeah, there's the there's finite resources which are coming through from existing fossil fuels. And, and where there are fossil fuels, they're coming from more difficult areas to extract, which puts their cost up. And then there's the political aspect of all of this. You see what's happening in you know Russia, Ukraine, and and different parts of the world. Then different continents have you know different challenges in in that regard. So, but but looking at the overall consumption, that then then that the, the consumption is is got to be fueled for, or got to be fed from a raw material base, which is reliable and sustainable and that's where renewable carbon comes in so so there's some fantastic technologies which are coming through and, and you know, we're proud to be part of that and if you take it in terms of the mass balance you can gasify pyrolyze technology based on cheap sustainable energy now to make feedstocks to the, through existing crackers and then you've got this mass balance approach I don't know the, the LCA on that or the carbon footprint on that, but all of the indications are from the companies that are driving this, that it's it's going to happen. And then you've got the circular economy in terms of collecting supply, you know, aggregating existing supply chains and repurposing the existing materials. And then you've got the bio base, and 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 so you're competing with crops and and food sources, but you're also got that whole element of fermentation routes to different chemistries. And then of course you've got CO two, and there's 36 billion tons of CO two emitted every year. And if you look at, it's massive, and and that's every year. 
So then you look at the carbon capture technology, which is going into place to collect that CO2, and whether that's from emissions or from air capture or various other sources, then effectively, once you've got it, you've got to do something with it. So you can stick it back down underground in the old oil wells up to a point, but all of that is a cost. So the capture is a cost. The storage is a cost. So why not take that abundant CO2 and turn it into a valuable raw material? And that's the key thing here is we're, we're putting, we're taking waste carbon to valuable carbon. We're repurposing that carbon to put it to good use. And the momentum of this, and this is why I, I you know, I believe that we're on the, on the leading edge you know, on a macro basis, specifically with polyurethanes and then with surfactants, that our technology goes into other polymer systems, but our investors want us to get to market and show a return on what we do. But but if you then look at, at, at look at and the reason for that is the opportunity within polyurethane is probably three to five years behind the circular systems that are being put in place for the big global thermoplastics. You know, PLA is another area which, you know, will it work, won't it work, doesn't fit with existing existing recycling systems, is starting to find it, the niches where it adds benefit. So, so as all of these technologies converge, there will be winners that come through. And, um, and whether or not that's driven purely by commercial routes or whether it's dri driven by policy, and, and that's the reason why we're involved in the RCI and in the in in, in the, the with Europol is specifically in Europe. Europe is far more driven by policy. Mm. Um, having said that, you know, look at what Biden is doing with the IRAs in 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 North America. You know, there's there's a, a capitalist principle principle that's coming behind that policy to do things based on future technologies. And there's a couple of states that you've actually petitioned on CCU technologies. So it, it's starting the, the Chinese, the Chinese see the opportunity because yeah. CO2. Yeah, lot, let's talk lot about China a little bit because I know that you, <laughs> when we were talking earlier, you, you mentioned that you really see China just kind of accelerating ahead in mm. renewable technologies, carbon neutral technologies, et cetera. Can you, can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, I can. Can I, yeah, on a personal basis, uh, my first trip into mainland China was in 1989. And I think I've been incredibly privileged in terms of the time when I was born to see China and, and its ascendancy. And, um, and if you look at the last 20 years, its growth has really supported the world economies. I mean, but in those early days when it was moving into manufacture, it was always second generation technologies and everybody was scared of, of IP integrity and, and the like. Now I see China in a different mode. I see them leapfrogging existing technologies to go to future technologies based on growing their manufacturing base going forward. So, I mean, it is happening. They are confident. They've got very good people. They've got global supply chains that have all been put in place. And, you know, they're, they're fully motivated to, 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 to make this happen. So every time I come back from China, I come back exhilarated and a little bit scared that I'm not Chinese, really. But I, I, but, but they are a force absolutely to be reckoned with. Yeah, yeah, interesting. And I think you know, it's, 
is as you alluded to some of the policy drivers that Europe is putting in place in North America, China kind of has always had that, right? And so that's a so I think there's less, it's not really a capitalistic free will society as much as government driven strategically. And so I think that's part of it as well. The, the meetings are very different. I mean, no one argues in a, or has a counter view in a in a Chinese meeting. It's this is what we will do because it's that's what um, has come from above. So you know, in an autocratic society, you can get things done very very quickly. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't mean that their policies and their and and their safety and, and and their attention to the environment is any different to anywhere else in the world. I mean, their standards are high. But they get things done because they they make a decision and they they move ahead with it. It's a far simpler um, environment to to grow. Yeah, interesting. Than the West. Uh, yeah, yeah, different. It's, uh, we we could elaborate for a long time on that. Yeah, anyway. I don't mean to get geopolitical. So forgive me. <laughs> we, we Iconics can... far more far more in my um in my sphere uh, of influence. Absolutely. So Keith, what's next for you and Iconic? When what should we be looking for in terms of the next six to twelve months? And when are we going to start seeing Iconic products or Iconic technology based products out in the market? I think you see it, it, we're, we're, we're test marketing in different parts of the world now, and, and those, res, those developments are going very well. So I don't think it's long until you see products in the market. It's going to be up to our customers how much they tell their story and shout about it, and we'll be doing everything to, to be able to sing this from the rooftops. So I don't think that that will be long. Um, our first first task is to get these plants built and get product in the market in, in, in commercial quantities and, and that will be ha- that. and that will be in the next eight 12 to 18 months and and okay. where there will be marked difference yeah and yeah, you, yeah. you'll see we'll, we'll have a, a european supplier on board as well at that time so these are our pioneer investors you know these are the people that are going first uh, and and what comes after them, then then we will we we will we'll see, because our our business model is to license our technology and to sell our catalysts. So we're taking it one step at a time, and and the first stage is really keep focusing on making our existing pioneer licensees, our pioneer customers, as as successful as they can be. And then our, our belief is that that you know the. Success breeds success, and it'll work. We'll, we'll work on some options from that point. Awesome, great. Well, Keith, thank you for taking your time today to join us today on the Chemical Show. It's been uh, great to have a conversation with you. Fantastic to be here, Victoria. And thank you once again for the opportunity. Really appreciate it. You're welcome, and thanks everyone for joining us today. Keep listening, keep following, keep sharing, and we will talk again soon. We've come to the end of today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed your time with us and want to learn more. Simply visit thechemicalshow.com for additional information and helpful resources. Join us again next time here on The Chemical Show with Victoria Meyer.